At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions, and we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto, November 19th, and again in Calgary, Saturday, November 26th. Just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today. All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon to the people of Alberta and the great province of Alberta, where it is currently 4 p.m., Alberta time right now it's it's earlier than uh than 6 p.m here in Ottawa I hope you guys are doing well I am joined here once again by my colleagues Celine Gallus from once again the great province of Alberta Celine how are you doing I just like to point out that I get so incredibly happy every time he references my province as being great and incredible because it is um I'm doing great also in that way so you know thank how, how's you. the yeah. weather are you missing the weather in Alberta what are you missing the most from Alberta um the people, the Rocky Mountains, um, my, yeah, no, probably just those things. And the minus 27 went, uh, weather with like three, three feet of That's snow. Right. Is it right now? Yeah. You yeah. know, as I always say, the city of Ottawa is a gorgeous city, but it is so corrupt to its core, but it's beautiful. And the weather is not too <laughs> bad right now. I'm also joined by Sydney Fizzer from Rebel News. Once again, from Alberta, Sydney, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been uh, an interesting day. We had the mayor of Coots uh, testify, so mm -hmm. it's uh, I look forward to talking about that. Perfect. All right. So, Celine, you were the one live tweeting today for the whole day. How did you find it? Well, what what are the main takeaways from today? Well, we had uh, three testimonies from, well, mainly two testimonies, actually, and we'll get into that a little bit later on, I believe. But uh, we had Jim Willett, that was like, uh, um, sorry, Sid just said that was the mayor of Coots. Uh, his testimony was very, very interesting. We're going to have some clothes for you guys to take a look at so that we can break those down more in depth. Um, and then we had um, Ian Freeman at the very end. He was the Solicitor General for Ontario. And um, it, it was essentially the breakdown of uh, transportation and the way that tow trucks were used, as well as some of the safety routes and plans constructed in and around the convoy. Also, some additional invoy, uh, sorry, information on the convoy and any activities relating to the areas uh, where there were convoys or slow rolls that we saw here in Ontario, as well as Alberta. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's pretty much it. Uh, we'll get more into the third testimony that will begin tomorrow. We'll resume, I guess. But what of were your course. main takeaways? Well, you know, just before we get to our main takeaways, I want to talk one that if you want to follow Sydney's live tweeting, because she is live tweeting the whole proceedings straight from Ottawa, straight from um, the building where the commission is being held at, you can head on to twitter.com, now owned by elon musk and you can go to see celine's account you can go to at celine c x l i v so it's at celine c x l i v and actually it's s e l e n e i will specify it's not a c because if i had a dollar for every time well there you have it folks here it is on the screen it's even easier for you to take a look at it all right so today as you mentioned we had the testimonies um, I think what we will focus on the most is going to be coup, especially with our friend uh, Sydney Fizzard, who is here. Um, we'll take a look at the testimony from the mayor of Coos, and we'll discuss, well, a bunch of stuff. By the way, before before we begin, if you want to join us at Rebel News Live events, there's going to be a Rebel News Live event happening in Toronto on November 19th and in Calgary on November 25th. We will be there. I will... well. Not necessarily. We will do our best to be there. And uh, we will have Tamara Leash, 
that will be there. Ezra Levine is going to be there. Sheila Gunry is going to be there. If you want to meet your favorite personalities, your favorite freedom fighters, just at Tamara Leach, you can head on to rebelnewslive.com and get your tickets for either one of those dates. All right, let's get started with the live stream by taking a look at clip number one, uh, part of the testimony from the mayor of Coos, Alberta, the, the little city of Coots, uh, located in Alberta, what he had to say. Let's take a look at that. greatly disrupted everyday life for Coots residents. Could you maybe explain to us um, in what ways? Uh, I have done a mental survey and I think I had about uh, a 70-30 split in the village, the 30 on my side and the 70 supporting the protest, uh, regardless of what it meant. The, we still have neighbors that won't talk to each other uh, because of the, the protests. They didn't, didn't get out and do, we had a lot of collaborators, not collaborators, uh, sympathetic people in the village who figured it was our duty to feed everybody. Uh, if they need a room, give them a room. All right, that was part of his long, lengthy testimony. Mm -hmm. um, in summary, what did you make of uh, the mayor's testimony, of Jim's testimony? Well, I thought it was very interesting because obviously, as you know, he's the mayor of Coots. So he's going to have, obviously, again, a little bit of a different perspective in regards to the the convoy that was there in Coots. But um, towards the, you know, I'm not going to jump ahead, actually, but um, yeah. safe to say that it was it was interesting. And, and I don't think that it was... I mean, it was no Steve Bell or Peter Slowly testimony, so I, I, I don't, um, I didn't dislike his testimony. I'll just say, what did you think, Sid? Uh, well, he is uh, the Coots mayor, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned he's not yeah. the mayor of Windsor or Toronto. No. Um, he, he's coming from a, a very small uh, arena, I guess you could say, in some senses. So it's interesting, and he, he it, in some ways, actually, I could see this. He is more beholden uh, to those who he represents in the town yes. of Coots than yeah. most individuals. Like you think yeah. about the average Torontonian, when's the next time you're going to see uh, John Tory, right? Whereas these individuals, they actually have to engage almost uh, on a daily basis for some individuals, of course. Uh, in that proximity, it's. Uh, it's interesting to see, and I believe, as you mentioned in the clip, uh, my side was the 30%, the protest side was the 70%. Yes. Um, and, you know, I got to be honest, there were times, uh, I believe, you know, while we were down there where we heard of uh, the mayor, sorry, I say we, uh, Kian Simone to my left, uh, we were down there and it felt like, uh, and it seemed as though the mayor himself was feeding into some of the fear that was associated with the protesters. Uh, yes. Telling people, you know, warning them yeah. about the situation uh, in uh, very uh, harsh terms, you could say. So it's, it's interesting. I think he's had to kind of, uh, he's been forced to maintain somewhat of an even keel uh, or whatever the expression is there um, because he is so closely associated with those who uh, he represents in Coots. Yeah, and that's a really good point. You know, he also said that he initially went, or the first, one of the first times uh, he went to go and actually meet the protesters. Uh, this was actually pulled from a CTV interview that he did at that time of the convoy there in Coots, where he revealed that he initially went down to go and meet the protesters to see if they were as bad as like mainstream media portrayed them to be. And then he very soon after revealed that they were not only not bad um, and not as bad as mainstream media had portrayed them to be, but actually they were peaceful. And he made mentions of them. Some of them he realized were his uh, neighbors and whatnot, and that he saw a big, 
it was a very major por portion of uh, coots that he was able to see, like residents, locals, friends, I dare say, potentially mm -hmm. family. But uh, coots is very small, if you're not aware. Coots, Alberta is a speck <laughs> right before the border of uh, Montana. So it was a small town, I think. No, I never been to Coos, but you've been to Coos. I wouldn't think so. Yes, I've been to Coos. Yeah, Sydney's been to Coos. K2 Kian Simone has been to Coos as well. You've all been covering what happened in the Coos uh, Coos border blockade. Um, from what you've seen in Coos, does his testimony corroborate what he saw with the protesters? The general dynamic that he was talking about in regards to the the protesters at the Coots border. Um, do you think what he said corroborates what you saw on the ground? Um, I can only speak from honestly, like the two days that I was actually there. But I know that Sid and Keen would have yeah, what a, a about, lot what about opinion you? on any there. Specific senses? Well, I'm not sure the the testimony. You know, he talked about how uh, in the text messages that we saw presented at the commission we saw him refer to the truckers as domestic terrorists mm. do you agree with that set of sentiment i know that we, well, I mean, we had I, a quick scrum with him afterwards which we will show later but well, I mean, general, personally i would suggest them to be domestic uh, terrorists but in terms of uh his approach on the situation i think he was trying to uh, adhere to very specific legal terms and guidelines in his approach yeah uh but you know being down there um, I, I think it's fair to say with a, a heavy hand is how his dialogue came uh, yeah. towards the protesters from the get-go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think he also mentioned that in his view in Coots, Alberta, the people supporting the the, the, the protest, there were 70% of the population in Coots that supported the protest and 30% that were opposed to the protest. And I think that we saw, you know, Marco in his testimony, he talked about how yesterday he talked about how he would talk and negotiate, have discussion with the, um, the school boards and the residents that were there. I think both testimonies contradict themselves a little bit with Marco saying that he spoke to a lot of the people in the city. He wasn't able to negotiate with them. And then the mayor saying that, well, there was a huge split in the city. Well, and you gotta, like think about how uh, the mayor's conversations were going with uh, the federal, or not, pardon me, the federal government, but the provincial government, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how how sturdy was their communication? And then you uh, replicate that with the, the provincial government and the federal government. Mm -hmm. Well, how, how sturdy was their communication, right? Were they... Uh, actively assisting and you know had great communication no it seems like the protesters themselves were probably the best communicators out mm -hmm. of the bunch uh even though there may have been attempts made uh it, it just seems ultimately that there was a uh, a clogging of the system be, uh, in terms of the internal communications of our government well very much so and a really good example of that would be the fact that it came to light that uh then transport minister of alberta rajansani uh, actually had plans to go to Coots uh, to be able to hear them out and and try to negotiate. And uh, it seems that she was actually prevented from doing that by the provincial government. So you talk about the miscommunications, not just when you have a huge organization of people that are, for the better part, totally leaderless, mm -hmm. um, that are trying to work together. And then you have the government, <laughs> they're trying to work together to try and see what to do. And then when someone finally proposes um, that they go forward and they're able to hear them out and strike a deal, which we didn't see anywhere else except for maybe uh, when it also came to light yesterday in Windsor that, mm -hmm. um, what was it, the the governor? A letter. Yeah, there was a letter that was sent to Windsor and was withheld from them because the worry was how could, how could the 
very small in comparison to the convoy in Ottawa. How could that small group of people there at Windsor have the letter sent to them and not have a letter sent to Ottawa? So same thing, lots of communications, that narrative we know. It's very familiar to us the at this point. The longer the commission goes on, uh, the more it seems like it was a, a centralized effort in the sense that it was one person guiding the ship from high up above yeah. uh, in, in many mm -hmm. senses and the, the broken telephones from above. And it, in many ways, it's quite the opposite of yeah. the, the demonstrations that were taking place. It wasn't like, a, you know, who, who's the chain of the command? Uh, and this is, you know, one of the issues that they're alluding to uh, with the uh, Freedom Convoy and with the Coots uh, uh, blockade is there was no uh, one guy, one face image to these demonstrations. There yeah. was no leader. Yeah. Um, and because of that, it was uh, the communication of those who presented themselves at these demonstrations that was the uh, the communal commu uh, conversations they were having is what drove their movement as opposed yeah. to what we see on the government end yeah. where it seems like they would just ask the person above them you know keep on going up the chain and uh, unfortunately that message or that uh, uh, the response that came back down uh, was not indicative uh, or was not useful to the individuals who were requesting this assistance it was a, a decree brought down upon them yeah well let's take a look at the second clip we have where the mayor Jim Willett speaks to whether or not from what he saw there was any sort of violence or harassment um, during the Kutz border blockade. Take a look at what he had said that. Did you observe uh, any, any violence or harassment um, during, during the protest? Never did, no. Did you yourself uh, receive any threats? Uh, yes. I got, got one death threat uh, online, uh, Facebook. Serious enough that uh, the RCMP took it seriously. Uh, I'm not sure how good a threat it was because it was sent from a personal page. That reminds me a little bit of what Jim Jim Watson had said when he said there was a death threat about someone going to a mall and shoot him. Well, you see, but uh, what's interesting about this specific instance is that he doesn't go in depth about what the threat was. He says that there was a threat um, and he doesn't actually go into detail much more than that. And then he actually works towards kind of revealing that he's not he's not serious if it was actually a real threat yeah. because the person used their, you're not going to make an actual serious violent death threat to anybody on your public. Imagine doing that. Imagine using your Twitter or your Facebook to do that, to private message someone and actually be like, Hey, so this is what's going to happen. That's not credible. And that doesn't make sense. Well, they would have for sure looked more into that. If I can add to that, this might be a, a clip we need to find, uh, but uh, Kian Simone, while he was at the Coots blockade, uh, he brought to light how Premier Jason, former Premier Jason Kenney's <laughs> statement uh, about an RCMP officer being assaulted uh, was actually a, a blatant lie. That's right. um, yeah. uh, I don't know where exactly this might have come from, the internal communications perhaps of the Kenny government, um, but it, it, it's very interesting to see the kind of, I guess you want to call it a narrative that's being put forward yep. by them. Yeah, it, it absolutely is a narrative. And again, it doesn't matter if, uh, if the blockade or the protests took place in Coots, Alberta, Windsor, Ontario, or here in Ottawa, it's the same narrative that the government officials are all painting. No, definitely. And we'll go back to the mayor's testimony uh, in a few minutes. But for that, I want to show uh, following his testimony. And that's something that honestly, I was glad to see because liberals never agree to speak to us. 
four PCs never agree to speak to us. Jim Watson, <laughs> we saw what happened when we tried to speak to him. Failed mayoral candidate, Catherine McKinney, um, didn't want to speak to me, speak to me. But this mayor, even though he opposed the movement, agreed to speak to us after his testimony. We were able to ask him a few questions that I think we'll find interesting. So take a look at how our exchange with uh, the mayor of Coots, Alberta, went. Hey, sir, super quick question for me. You said that 70% of the the residents of Coots, in your opinion, agreed with the protests uh, with the truckers, but you also called them in a text message domestic terrorists, the truckers. So is it fair to say that you consider your town a, a terrorism-supporting town if you think that 70% of them agree with the truckers? Is it fair to say what? That you consider your town and 70% of the residents agreed with the truckers. Is it fair to say that you consider your town a, a terrorism-supporting town? <laughs> I guess you could twist it to say that, sure. Did you still have the same view that the truckers were domestic terrorists? I think whoever okayed blocking the highway was possibly there. Like I said, I'm not a lawyer. And do you agree with the general, just last thing, do you agree with the general message of the convoy or of the blockade? Do you agree with what they were fighting for? What the weapons were planned for? No, no, I'm not talking about the weapons. I'm talking, do you agree with the general message of the convoy in terms of the mandates, the blocker, the, the border restrictions and everything? Do you agree with what they were standing for? I think they were there first uh, over the, as I said before, the federal governments of both the U.S. and Canada had suddenly said that these guys that had been doing cross-border trucking had no more uh, no more permission to do that unless they got vaccinated, right. where for two years they had been allowed to go back and forth. Uh, somebody said they were gods. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, they were the guys that were carrying all the weight. And suddenly the mandates applied to them as well. And it, I think it was bad timing. I think it was a bad uh, it was bad politics. It wasn't delivered properly. Um, but it's way above my pay grade. You know, I think it's a little bit of an odd response. I failed to see where he actually aligns in terms of what he thinks of, well, the vaccine mandates, the mandates for truckers. You know, the truckers were the ones that were bringing us food for the past since we're since we're born really and they, they they were the heroes of the pandemic they were the ones that were able to go from the us to canada bring us food bring us milk bring us what we need to get to live our life properly and then justin trudeau said we don't need that we don't care about you we're going to impose a strict authoritarian mandate on you even with all the hard work you've been doing just because you refuse to get the covid 19 vaccine you will not be allowed to do your job and serve Canadians properly. I think it was disgraceful for Justin Trudeau to take that move, but I failed to, I don't know if you saw it differently, but I failed to see where the mayor aligns in terms of Justin Trudeau's decision. And also above his pay grade, that's not, that's not a good response for me. You know, you're the mayor, you're representing those people. They elected you to represent them. How is it above your pay grade to talk about an issue that affects them? I find it very weird. Yeah, you know, um, I mean... Okay, it's you just went on a little bit of a, a tangent, so I'm trying to remember exactly. But um, the point I wanted to be very specific about is that I don't, I don't. He he didn't even. He said that he didn't oppose 
the protest in Coots. He said that he didn't. It was only at the point that he started to see the locals become affected by, um, you know, if that was, if that was, um, you know, interfering with supply chain, local businesses, et cetera. That's what he meant. Like, maybe it's just because I'm an Albertan or because I, I have a, a little bit of sympathy for the men um, or empathy, I suppose. But it really is just such an Albertan thing, you know, especially small town, Southern Albertan to just mm-hmm. be really, that's like your family, you know, that whole town. And and I, I believe that I could see from his testimony that it was very difficult for him to try and structure um, his narrative with what I am, what I propose to be the narrative that is supposed to fit, uh, this entire, uh, inquiry. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was a little bit frustrating because I think, again, like he said, he, it was, he just really spoke about it from such a, from such a sympathetic standpoint. And, uh, you know, he made those references to, to those, those people being, you know, some of his, his neighbors, like friends, like you live in such a small town you're bound to know you could probably throw a stone and you'd hit <laughs> within that proximity, every person that's in coots, you know? Well, well, one of the other things too, is that while he, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'm sure he's super close to his constituent, especially mm-hmm. in a small time, like you, uh, a small town, like you say, do you come from a small, small town in Alberta? My friend, I come from Calgary, Alberta. Calgary. <laughs> that That's not a small town, but I, I remember in a past interview uh, that he did, uh, a little while ago in February, he spoke about the mandates. He spoke about what the federal government is doing, what the federal government imposed on the truckers who deliver us goods and frankly, make us live our life every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't seem to be the biggest fan of the federal government. So while, I, while he seemed shy today to actually answer the question, give a clear position on the mandate. He spoke a while ago about his view of the federal government. And he said, and I quote, that you can't win a battle with the federal government. Let's take a look at uh, at what he said back in February. Their first attempt didn't appear to go too well. So how confident are you that that they'll get this done? Well, I had a, uh, actually my deputy mayor who used to work for, for CBSA for a number of years till he just retired says you never win a battle with the government so it's uh it's unfortunate that uh people have taken it to this extreme and uh i as i've said to everybody that asked me about this i just want it to go away I, I- so you see, while he says that no one wins a battle with the government, he still doesn't seem to agree with the fact that the protesters were there and the protesters say, said, I don't care. I'm standing my ground because that is my right. He said he said that they were taking it too extreme, which I find, once again, very odd. I find his, his answer is a little bit weird. What do you think, Sid? Uh, yeah, I, I could say a little bit weird. Um, I, and I wanted to actually touch on uh, one of the things you guys brought up earlier was the, the affected... Uh, 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 local businesses. Uh, now, I, I can't speak to every single business that was uh, in the town of Coots, but the uh, uh, motel hotel that was in the area, I believe, was completely booked. Uh, we even stayed uh, there, me and uh, Ken Simone, uh, at this motel for uh, a day or two, I believe, completely booked the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as well, I believe there's a, a diner, actually, that uh, a very small diner, very quaint. It was like an Airbnb thing, uh, uh, great people that ran it as well. Um, and I believe they were getting hassled uh, 
all the time. If not, I believe actually while we were at the blockade, they were shut down by AHS yeah. because of violating COVID reg- regulations. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's kind of funny to think that that, uh, that shop would have been open. It would have been packed every single day for guys yeah. looking to get a hot breakfast, yeah. uh, looking to get those rooms. I mean, the rooms, I believe, uh, uh, continued on. But uh, the government itself, even while the blockade was occurring, was actively shutting down businesses in Coots, a very yeah. small town. And yeah. I remember the duty-free. Um, uh, there was a lot of things that uh, even the protesters, the demonstrators weren't allowed to get because of the police barriers and such. Um, and the, the duty-free location, I think for obvious reasons, you weren't able to shop there to, to get some of the stuff that you needed. But there was the supplies that you needed in that shop with an eye shot yeah. uh, that nobody was allowed to use or access even in this time of uh, grievance. Yeah. And just before we let you go, because I see we have our next guest coming on, we'll have them in five minutes. I want to take a look at clip number four, where um, Mayor of Coos, Alberta, Willett, Mayor Willett, uh, speaks to his relationship to a phone call he had with former Premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney. Let's take a look at what he had to say uh, about Kenney. You also had a phone call with the Premier? I did. And at no time did you make requests for specific supports or assistance from the province? I think we, uh, when I talked to the Premier, we talked more in generalities. Uh, As I said uh, earlier, he was kind of caught in a pinch point between darned if I do and darned if I don't. We talked about that. He talked about the fact that uh, he could only do so much because of the lack of uh, surge capacity in the hospitals. Uh, He mentioned that he was going to be talking to governors in the northern states to see if they would uh, put pressure on on that side because even if we did get rid of the provincial mandates, the federal mandates still sat there, and that was the thing that triggered the whole deal in the first place. So, uh, no, it, it was more a, uh, a generality thing. I did not hit him up for any kind of. Now, do you think, Celine, that had we had a different premier in Alberta, different than Jason Kenney? We would still have, uh, we will still have had all of these mandates in Alberta. I, <laughs> my opinion is potentially, I, I don't know this, those mandates were pretty much all over the world. So I really can't answer that with any, mm-hmm. I don't have confidence in that. No, actually I don't, well, unfortunately. The, the last two years that we've gone through, right? Like yeah. who, who would have thought that Premier Jason Kenney, I mean, I'm not a, a fanboy of long time or of short time for that yeah. Matter, yeah. Uh, of Premier Kenney, but who would have thought uh, two and a half years ago that he would have been the man he is today? Yeah. You know, who can say that about any politician? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest uh, international phenomena uh, the the COVID uh, narrative and pursuant actions by governments. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. No, for sure. Honestly, I'd really love to be a, a fly on the wall in terms of those backdoor conversations that go on within government. So, yeah. Yeah, but while we, you know the the 
the mandates that the people were protesting in Ottawa and mandates that people were protesting in Windsor and even Coots, as a matter of fact, were all federal mandates. In Coots, they were protesting the federal border mandates. In Ottawa, they were protesting the federal COVID-19 mandates. Mm -hmm. But we still saw in Ottawa people carrying flags and signs regarding François Legault, the premier of Quebec. Yeah. And we saw some carrying flags and signs about Jason Kenney, premier of, then premier of Alberta. Um, and while they were there officially to protest the federal mandates, they were also there, I feel, to protest the premiers, uh, Jason Kenney and François Legault. Did you feel the same way when you were at Coots? Sorry, you... That they were protesting the provincial government as well of course as it, it goes government. it goes without saying that anywhere that they set up these these uh these blockades they they were very aware of who was in charge who had put the mandates in play and that was a conversation that i i heard and it would not be hard to guess was was there within within those those areas yes yeah, yeah. you agree yeah oh yeah no to say the least <laughs> yeah. uh, of course. Uh, premier jason kenny and the the mandates that we saw in Alberta were a, a very large part of why they were protesting. I mean, yes. uh, I, I believe, as Marco mentioned yesterday, it, or I don't know who mentioned this, but uh, <laughs> uh, two weeks to slow the spread, right? And then look at how yes. where we are now. That's that's the federal aspect of things. Uh, and then you've got uh, Premier Jason Kenney. You know, it's going to be uh, open for summer. We're not going to have a vaccine mm -hmm. passport. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to have a restrictions exemption program. Yeah. That is just the same thing as a vaccine passport, yeah. except for the name. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, he, he kept on doing that. Actually, I think uh, Akin Simone was there as well for that uh, that groundbreaking answer from Premier Kenny. Um, and it, it's just this repetition of, oh, yeah, just 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 hold on. Just I'm not going to you know do that. Oh, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, like this. How about that? You know, this this uh, uh, struggle session these politicians are doing. Uh, with their citizens in terms of pushing through mandates when they know their, their citizens don't want it. Well, I think those are the longest two weeks we've ever seen just last week. Uh, even a few days ago, I think I saw an article saying that there was a university in Ontario that is reinstating Waterloo. mass mandates for students attending classes in the lecture hall, which is absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, thanks so much for coming on, Sid. Uh, we'll move on to our next guest. Before we get to our next guest, we will go to a quick ad break. And when we come back, we'll have the great lawyer for Freedom Corp, Eva Chipyuk who you've been hearing a lot from in the past four weeks. Stay tuned. Freedom in 2022 is your right to disagree with me anytime on anything in your heart, online, or in the public square. Freedom in 2022 is also your right to live your life however you see fit without hurting me or for that matter being bothered by me. But freedom in 2022 is in very real danger under constant attack by Justin Trudeau through his censorship bills, his attacks on gun rights, his attacks on farmers and his attacks on peaceful protesters. These people have even tried to denormalize our flag. At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions that Justin Trudeau, the media, and big tech censors say we're not allowed to have. And we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto, November 19th, and again in Calgary, Saturday, November 26th. I'll be there with dozens of other rebels and rebel-adjacent free thinkers, and I hope that you'll join us. Just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today, but do not sleep on this because these tickets are going fast. See you soon. My mug? I know. 
it's pretty cool. So is this hoodie I got on and you could have it on too if you check out our special website at rebelnewstore.com. That's where you can see Freedom Focus hoodies that we have for you, beanies, cell phone cases, you name it, all while supporting our journalism where we fight to bring you the other side of the story as opposed to, you know, being forced by the Trudeau government to fund leftist media out of your taxes. The truth is, without you and your generosity, there is no rebel news. So again, if you like the reports that we bring you and that we also fight for freedoms in Canada, please consider doing some shopping, picking up some swag at rebelnewsstore.com. We appreciate your support. Tell people the world's on fire. Identify the problem. Attack it. Non-stop. Wait for a friend. Maybe. Definitely not. Yep. Chaka Chaka Chip. That's him. Kill the pipelines. The world's still on fire. Blame Alberta. Blame. Blame some more. Now the world's in need. Don't give him this. Or this. Take these. Screw that. Are we done? No. Finally. He's gone. Don't want you. I want you. But this? This is not good. Don't worry. We'll win. Destroying Canada's most conservative province. It's that easy. All right, folks, we are back live on air with an interesting guest that has been refusing to do any media interviews since the beginning of the inquiry. But today, he is a hockey coach. He will give us his take on the Emergencies Act inquiry. I welcome to our studio Freedom Convoy lawyer Brendan Miller. Brendan, how are you doing? You pheasants are playing like garbage. I'm sick and tired of this. You're not keeping your sticks on the ice. I want to see some hustle out there. There's some free agents out right now. All right. Rachel Gilmore, Rex Murphy. I could bring them in. You're going to be riding the pine for the rest of the season, son. All right. Get out there. Keep your stick on the ice. I want to see some hustle. All right. So how many, how many pucks do we need to put on the net sign to, to, to I want to see game? some journalism, son. Some journalism. All right. Everybody here wants to score more goals than the other side. All lines should be firing. I haven't seen any of you out there hustling. So what transfers are you thinking of making? Well, going to trade you for <laughs> Rachel Gilmore. You know, she's on Twitter all the time. I don't see your Twitter going. She's got some serious tweet game. Where's your tweet game? I'm focused on the game as you taught me, coach. Okay. Well, Damn. Yeah, keep your stick on the ice. All right. Perfect. Well, there you have it. Freedom Convoy lawyer, coach, slash coach, hockey coach, Brendan Miller for an exclusive interview. I think Glenn McGregor is going to be upset. All right. We're going to have on guests. Um, Eva Chipiuk, for real this time, come on to talk about the Emergency Act Inquiry uh, she is setting on right now. And yeah, so Eva Chipiuk, Eva, how are you doing today? Um, pretty good, thanks. I don't have any hockey analogies for you today, so hopefully <laughs> you got your fix of them today. Definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Brendan once told us, if we do an interview, he's going to talk about hockey. I think he loves hockey more than representing Tamara Leach and the other people in the inquiry. In any regard, we have Eva Chipier Okay, I'm going to have to stop you. I don't think that's true, but <laughs> we can keep going now. That's right. You're right. It's far from being true. All right, we have we have you on. So what were your general impressions from, uh, from today? Well, you know, we started with um, the Coots mayor this morning. And just to put it into perspective, Coots is a border town in Alberta, 250, 250 
people population. So incredibly tiny village, actually, I should say. And um, you could see the mayor breaking down a little bit today, talking about what he went through. There, there was a lot going on. The town was divided, as we heard. And you could see the hurt and the harm that he experienced. And at the end, it was either um, Brendan's Brendan Miller's questions or the commissioner, I can't recall now, just asking, I think it was Brendan's asking, what is your impression of your town, your town's impression of the federal government? And he said, we think Justin Trudeau hates us. And, you know, you just got like your heart sinks when you hear something like this. Um, you got good Canadians, hardworking Canadians mm -hmm. feeling like the federal government is just not there for them. And that is really what we what we experienced here in Ottawa, that's really the reason that people stood up and started protesting. And he said he had nothing against peaceful, lawful protests, which I think we all believe that that's the correct way to protest. Um, everything just kind of became more difficult after two years of harsh realities and after not being heard for so long. I don't any. You know, even the commissioner asked, did they move to a legal protest after when they were told to leave? And they did. And mm -hmm. they continued to protest for two or three, three weeks later. Yeah. So nobody was intending to be protesting illegally. I think it was, again, mismanagement and uh, late to the game uh, police responses, yeah. as we saw, obviously, in Ottawa. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking. And ju just to make it clear, the protests and coups had nothing to do in terms of the organizational teams with the protests in Ottawa, correct? Yes. And again, I think I, I called you on this before to use the word organized for even what happened in Ottawa. I have a very hard time using it because nothing was organized about yeah. anything that was happening. It was incredibly grassroots. It was incredibly fast moving. Um, things were just happening as they were going. There was yeah. an issue you dealt with it. It's not, there was no long-term strategy planning yeah. or logistical planning. So a hundred percent, there was no connection um with anybody from that was in ottawa mm -hmm. no that's important to remember i think sometimes people associate all the freedom protests that took place in ottawa to the freedom convoy that took place uh, sorry all the protests that are more freedom oriented across the country to the protests that took place in ottawa the freedom convoy yeah as um you know, just an organic movement as mm -hmm. a movement um, yeah. that they felt compelled to replicate in their own town. Yeah. They couldn't make it to Ottawa, possibly. They were close to Coots or Windsor or whatever, and it, it sparked across the world. I think yes. it was 26 yeah. or something convoys around the world. So, um, yeah, nothing at all organized about it, but it was just the need to be heard, and that mm -hmm. was a venue, a, a way of making themselves heard yeah absolutely. i think that i think the the only re resemblance the only thing that is absolutely the same thing is the purpose of the people being there the the purpose which was to fight uh federal covid19 mandates all right brendan miller just came on recently so let's take a look at clip number five when we see brendan miller cross-examining the mayor of coots alberta um mayor willis let's take a look at that interactions you have with your residents with respect to their support or lack of support for the federal government as it currently is composed? Uh, well, I'll quote my CAO, Trudeau hates us. And that's basically, you could 
talk to anybody there. There's a, a, a great dislike for the federal government on a okay. high percentage. And what is these dislikes? What are they about? What are these people's grievances in your residence and in that area? Smarter minds than me have tried to figure it out. I, I really don't understand the great dislike for the federal government. This was the cross-examination by Brendan Miller of, uh, of Mayor Willett. Um, he doesn't understand the great dislike that the protesters had for the federal government. <laughs> How can you not understand? Well, I think it's always a little bit... It's not always what you see at face value uh, that determines what a person says. As we've seen, there's lots of contrasting views and testimonies that have come out. And again, I think that in his closing statement, when he said that he did support them, I think he absolutely meant it. And um, I mean, if personally speaking, if I was the mayor of some place and, and I did or didn't understand certain pressures that I was under, would I be very willing to, you know, maybe say that the government isn't so great after all? I, especially when it's so outspoken, I, I think the only politician right now that is being that outspoken actually is Danielle Smith with her apology mm -hmm. to the, the, to all the people that face prosecution during the COVID restrictions and mandates. So I, I agree that it's a little bit it's hard to hear that. And then it's hard to hear when he says that he, he does indeed support the protesters. But again, I think that it just, there's so much more that goes on behind uh, doors that we're not aware of. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that I noticed a disconnect on this is that, um, and again, it was with Brendan Miller's cross-examination in a RCMP document that he put to the mayor. It said that the RCMP was there to engage with people, uh, protesters. And then he asked him if he saw, experienced that, if he saw it. And the answer was no. Yeah. And what did the mayor do? That was the next question again from Bre Brendan Miller. Did you go out and talk to these people? Did you go out and talk to the protesters? And the answer was yes. Yeah. So the disconnect, I think, is talking to constituents. Yeah. I think I talked about this early on when I was on the show is that MPs and our elected uh, officials have really forgotten yeah. what their purpose is and that they're meant to speak to people. And I, again, love that William goes out and talks to the MPs and um, talks to the MPs and asks them questions yeah. and gets, they puts don't them respond. On the, I know. And to <laughs> me, it's, it's, it's incredibly wrong. You should start reading to them their roles and responsibilities. That's an idea. What they are mm -hmm. do, what their role is as an MP is to talk to constituents, no matter. And it says mm -hmm. right there, no yeah. matter what your views are. Well, you know what's interesting is that recently in the House of Commons, you know the the Liberals try to put pressure, try to take aim at Pierre Poilievre for not answering media questions. They said that <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the most that's unbelievably idiotic I've ever heard, thing I've ever heard because of the irony behind it. They said that since Pierre Poilievre didn't take any mean, mainstream media question, he should pay back his salary. I mean, so his oh. constituents, they haven't been answering a question for yeah. seven years. Well, and I did hear a little bit about that exchange today. And what I did hear Pierre Polivier say is that I think we're a bit too obsessed, is the word he used, with what's going on in Ottawa. And I 100% agree with him. And again, this is the disconnect. Nobody is talking to people outside of Ottawa. Yeah. It's very insular here. You could feel it when you're here. It's a bubble in yes. Ottawa. And yeah. you could hear the frustration of this poor uh, mayor of a small, tiny town exactly. village in Alberta that just feels that nobody's listening. His constituents feel that they're not being heard. 
And what we saw from the federal government in their questions to the protesters, you, you kept hearing them ask, you don't control these people. Did you control? It was about control. Mm -hmm. The question constantly surrounded control rather than what they were doing is they were listening. They were there for to hear what protesters came to Ottawa for. And mm -hmm. again, that's a huge disconnect. I find elected officials, uh, I'm not even sure what they're doing if they're not talking to constituents. Really, mm -hmm. though? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Like what else? It, it just you need to be able to have that perspective from the people that you're supposed not not in control in charge of you're there mm -hmm. to provide them with mm -hmm. services you're there to take care of them and now we have this constant um history where we can look by recent history really where we see that it's the total opposite and again they're not even answering questions no, they're not the conservative MPs and MLAs will answer our questions, but it's specifically more so the liberals and, and some of the NDPs. Yeah, well, so far the experience that I that I received, even NDP MPs answer my question. I know, uh, you know, Alistair McGregor, one of my first interviews that I did mm. with an NDP mm -hmm. MP, Alistair okay, McGregor perfect. spoke to me for two minutes and a half about why he thinks it's okay to ban guns in Canada, like the NDP wants it to do. Um, and we fundamentally disagree. I'm ready to bet on nearly everything, but he still <laughs> took the time to speak to me. I mm -hmm. thought his questions were wrong, but I thought his questions, he actually took the time to answer my question, which mm -hmm. I think were great. And even the liberals who we elected to power aren't able to do that. Uh, and I fully agree with what, uh, with what she said. Um, so just to go, yeah. Well, I was just going to give you a little update of what happened because I think you guys were already in session here live. Um, Brendan Miller had a chance to cross-examine this assistant, I think, assistant deputy for the province for the Minister of Transportation. Uh -huh. And so uh, what Brendan Miller took or cross-examined him on was a federal act um, and just now slips my mind, but basically there is, it was an act that was available to the federal government um, for the, where the bridge was um, and any blockades on the bridge, all they had to do was enact it. You could um, find people. And so he just put it to them, you know, was this act available? Of, of course, this is the provincial minister of transportation, yeah. but it's just another tool that yeah. the federal government had in their toolbox. Yes. And either they didn't know about it, which is possible. There are a lot of acts. But when you've got a blockade on a bridge that you're suggesting is causing massive uh, economic damage, you might want to look through mm -hmm. the acts and see whether or not something's available to you before you go and enact something that's meant to be used at in only extreme circumstances. Well, I think it's something similar to what you're talking about. That might be what you are talking about is when uh, Ian Freeman from the Ministry of Trans Transportation of Ontario, the Ministry of Transportation of Ontario spoke to the fact that warning letters could have been sent to the protesters prior to the provincial emergency being declared. Mm -hmm. um, and he testified under oath that the police never told them to do so. That's clip number nine. If we could take a look at... Uh, exactly what Ian Freeman, once again from the Ministry of Transportation of Ontario, had to say to that. Sure. So basically, yeah, is that the one that you're talking about or is it a different? No, this is a different act. Okay. So it was, um, I'm going to pull it up now. So we actually have it and it was a federal <laughs> act um, called uh, the International Bridges and Tunnels Act. So right in there, there's fines, there's enforcement yeah. clauses. 
available to the federal government to use where they see that there is an issue on a bridge. Yeah, official opinion is that if that's your job to look after like those bridges, that jurisdiction to make sure that you are utilizing every single act uh, measure that you can take before the Emergencies Act and you haven't done that, that's a huge form of incompetency that I can't even go into depth to tell you is unacceptable to be at that level and to still just be in that ignorance. Yeah, of course. Let's take a look at what exactly Freeman said in regards to the letters. See letter that uh, later that there were warning letters issued um, after the provincial state of emergency was was declared um, of potential CVOR consequences under that law. Um, could that have been done prior to the invocation of the the provincial emergency to send warning letters about uh, known um, potential violations? I I think. Um, I, I, technically, anything is uh, you. You could send a warning letter to to do something like that. Um, we were we were never asked by police to do it, and it was a police led response. So I, I would cl- clarify that first. Um, but I I would also say I think we would be of the opinion that you know sending warning letters for something that we know we wouldn't deploy wouldn't be the right thing to do. So you're saying that they had the option of sending warning letters and they also had the options, the option of invoking the act that you're talking about. So they had two options before invoking the provincial emergency and hence the federal emergency. Yeah. So just to clarify, that was an Ontario response and this was a federal act that was Mm -hmm. available. So he did uh, on the stand say, you know, I'm not as familiar, but that sounds reasonable. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again... I'm going back to what I was talking about with elected officials, same thing with the police. There seems to be a disconnect about with police, the discussion like last week, we heard a lot about it, that none of the protesters here in Ottawa were actually directed or ordered to leave the city. There was yeah. constant dialogue every day about what, you know, how can we minimize it and where, where people should park, but not once. And then there was some kind of piece of paper thrown around the city and they assumed i think people would would understand what that meant but um like he said you could put in a warning letter but why can't people have a dialogue why what's happened to having a discussion yeah. with people yeah. like the police can come talk to these people and say look you're causing a problem and again going back to coots mm-hmm. when they were told they have to leave this area because it's you know i guess illegal and it's blocking things i'm yeah. not familiar with that protest yeah they gave them a, a, a plot of land that they could protest legally. They had a dialogue. Exactly. And then they resolved it. And, you know, I think how you do one thing is how you do all things. So there's not one, there's not one instance that I can speak on where I've, I've witnessed conflict between any one person or thing where the only way to resolve it wasn't to open up a stream of dialogue. I mean, to ignore somebody, somebody's being the people that are are in outcry, trying to communicate a message over the heartbreak, the loss, and all of the things that they went through over the past two years, and you ignore them, that pressure starts to build. And it builds and it builds until the top just pops off. And that's exactly what we saw. People were fed up. No one is listening. No one is willing to actually start that dialogue, to open up that stream of dialogue that is going to be very important for not just you know the different provinces to heal based on what was going on, but Canada as a whole. And that's not even speaking towards the rest of the world that also experienced that similar outcry. 
Yeah, I think that one of the people that says the best is Keith Wilson. You know, everyone, every time he comes on, he talks about the Canadian way, yeah. one called the Canadian way to deal with a protest, Canadian, the Canadian way, way to deal with uh, a situation, the way to deal <laughs> with a disagreement is not to go ahead and invoke the nuclear option, not to go ahead and invoke a never seen before anti-terrorism law on peaceful protesters who are protesting the COVID-19 mandates. It's to have a dialogue and none of the levels of government were willing to have that. We're seeing that again right now. Yeah. Well, not only Keith Wilson said it, but the CSIS document said it. I think that came up on Monday. They said, don't do this. It's going to cause more extremist um, views. It's going to cause more violence because people believe the system is broken and that's why they're here. You're confirming their views. Mayday, mayday. Whatever will we do for telling them exactly what they needed not to do and then still having it done. I think that's a great segue. Thank you, Eva, to my next point, CSIS. Yes. Next week, we will be hearing CSIS testify at the Emergencies Act inquiry. What is important with CSIS testifying? Are they going to come? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so just to let you know, too, there's been a little bit of um, dialogue online about the that there was a decision made by the commissioner yeah to, the blackout yeah did you do you are you familiar well, with we it, spoke and you understand? About it okay uh, we did. in a past um in a past session but i think it would be a good idea if you could touch on it again yeah. just for our viewers who are joining us now so what the commissioner did in that case is that the federal government said that it needed to keep things hidden from the public because of national security and what the commissioner did uh decided is he's going to review them initially on his own with the federal government and anyone that has security clearance He's going to review whether or not, uh, in his view, that information could be made public, whether he could summarize the information or all of it and needs to remain hidden. But, um, you know, we've seen a lot of information so far. Uh, You see redacted parts of documents, but I I don't, I think that we have quite a bit of information already. Um, There is, it's going to get quite interesting, quite spicy next week, I think, uh, with Mm -hmm. CSIS, we have um, also the RCMP coming in, Mm -hmm. so... Brenda Lucky will be testifying next week, right? At, at some point. I don't know yeah. if it's next week, but she's she on will the list. Be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just for everyone at home right now, a quick, quick, super quick game for you. Write in the chat what you think. C-S-I-S. What does CSIS mean? What are what, what is the abbreviation? What are the letters? What do the letters mean? Write in the chat because I think a lot of people get it wrong, but... What is CSIS, Eva? I, I know I have a video coming out soon on Rebel News about what is CSIS that you can all understand what we can expect for next week's testimony. What exactly is CSIS? But what is CSIS? Well, I'm no CSIS expert. Um, <laughs> from my understanding of what is it, it is, it's the Canadian Intelligence Agency. Yeah. Uh, not that acronym, obviously. <laughs> so we've heard from OPP and their intelligence, and that's only on a provincial level. Intelligence. <laughs> no, OPP, I, I give them a lot of credit. They yeah. did excellent. Uh, OPP Superintendent um, Pat Morris, the mm-hmm. in, top intelligence agent. Yeah. Excellent testimony and yeah. really professional organization. Mm-hmm. We'll see whether how CSIS uh, delivers uh, when they come in, but it's basically on a national scale. Yeah. The difference as well is, is they don't have enforcement eight arms. So they, they just 
carry on the intelligence and gather information, but they don't do enforcement. So once they gather information, intelligence, then they have to coordinate with the RCMP, for example, OPP or any local police authorities. Yeah. And just for everyone who actually did the game and thought about it, CSIS means the Canadian Security Intelligence Services. That's what the uh, acronym means. Um, I think that CSIS, where we saw some evidence come out in the past weeks, that were very re revealing and very relevant to whether or not the emergencies act had to be invoked and i guess that we can expect <laughs> more of that next week when they actually testify i expect so yeah well i hope we're going to be able to we're going to be able to to see that all right just to end it off um with our favorite prime minister ever justin trudeau Let's take a look at clip uh, one of the two clips that i sent earlier um what justin trudeau had to say uh, next week uh, last week sorry Doug Ford said that if you want to do something about the preemptive use of the notwithstanding clause, you need to sit down with the premiers and talk about reopening the Constitution. Even though Ford has decided to repeal his use of it to deal with the union and public employees, would you be open to doing that to get ready for the next time? Canadians are facing challenges around the rising costs of living. People are worried about climate change. Uh, people want to know that there are going to be good jobs for them now and into the future. People want to know that we're uh, preparing for possible future pandemics. These are the things that are top of mind for Canadians, uh, not reopening the Constitution. Our focus is on being there to support Canadians now. Absolutely, Lucy. So, Celine. Well, we heard that's how he speaks. Um, <laughs> he speaks every um... second. Yeah, this uh, <laughs> former blackface prime minister. Um, no, I don't know if you heard his comment. I don't. I, I'm not sure if it was you or was here in the election when we talk about it. But the federal solution to dealing with inflation is to tell families to get rid of their uh, Disney, Disney Plus, Plus subscription. subscription. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say to get vaccinated. <laughs> That's how it started. I've heard that so many times. Well, it's a solution for everything these days. Yeah, it is getting vaccinated. Uh, but, you know, he talks about other pandemic. Yeah. And he he, he he says that we need to get ready to deal with other pandemics. I'm wondering how many lockdowns, how many two weeks we're going to have during other pandemics. I have... <laughs> I don't know what was done correctly by all levels of government. So I have little faith that they're prepared for another pandemic situation. But not only pandemic, climate change, guys. Climate change is a huge issue that Justin Trudeau I, spoke to. Like every, everyone watching this, right? Like you, you heard that, you know, what, what do you think about the climate change, alleged climate change pandemic, drop it in the comments right now, because I'm curious and I will, William will for sure read your comments hundred percent, but uh, I have no faith um, that if anything like that ever happens, that uh, it will be any better than what we saw in the past two years. In fact, I would put money down that it would be a lot worse. And that's scary. That's just my opinion. But that's what I believe personally from what I was able to garner from my own experiences. Yeah, of course. So 
my apologies, guy, for making you go through another Justin Trudeau video at the end of just live stream. You should Thank- apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Eva, where can people find you on Twitter? I heard that you're now famous on Twitter. You're famous on TikTok. Really? So where, where can we find you on Twitter? Um, incredibly unprofessionally. I started a handle before I thought I'd ever use this, but it's forever. Ever maybe 79. And what was the reason why it's forever? Well, money ever. was ever, forever, ever. The yeah. best lawyer ever. Yeah, so if there's ever <laughs> any doubt on how you pronounce Eva Chipiak's name, just say forever, ever, and you'll be able to say it right. All right. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Oh, there's one thing that we forgot to mention. Um, a lawyer collapsed earlier oh. during the inquiry. You were in the room. What, can you tell us what happened? He collapsed. He, he, it looked like he fainted. Um, yeah. There was uh, a nurse in the room and she went and attended at with for him, at him, on him. Um, and she said that he seemed okay by the time the EMS came. He looked alert when he left. And, mm-hmm. and that's as much as I know it. It was pretty mm-hmm. shocking, obviously, for everyone. For sure. Yeah. 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 I hope he's doing great. I think he was conscious when he left the building. So yeah, it yes. looks like it. Yeah. everything should be fine. And the, the, the witness that appeared in front of him uh, who underwent cr- examination because it was a commissioned lawyer, will he be testifying tomorrow then? I believe mm-hmm. so. Yeah. It looks like he's back tomorrow. All right. Perfect. So if you want to see his testimony, we'll be able to uh, see it tomorrow. All right. For real this time, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. If you want to follow all of our coverage from the the national capital for the next few weeks at the Emergency Act Inquiry, you can head on to um, truckercommission.com. Did we have any chats today? Okay, perfect. Okay, so that's that's the actual goodbye. So thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Thank you for co-hosting with me, Celine, and thank you for joining us. Eva, thank you to the coach. The Freedom Freedom Convoy (laughs) Organizer Coach, Coach Miller, for joining us shortly today. And I hope that everyone has a great evening. Freedom in 2022 is in great threat in Canada. We've got provincial governments that have stripped away fundamental human and civil liberties in Canada. And we've got a federal government that is censoring and controlling the media and even cracking down on the right to protest in ways that are unprecedented in the post-war era. It's a fascinating but terrifying time if you're concerned about freedom, concerned about your basic liberties right now. But we've got to do more than just complain about it. That's why I've accepted the invitation to speak at the Rebel Live conference in Calgary, November 26, coming right up here. I'm going to be speaking in particular about the state of the media It's controlled by the federal government and what independent media can do to hold power to account, to stand up for our basic freedoms. I'm going to be there. I hope you'll come. Uh, You can buy your tickets at rebelnewslive.com and uh, I hope to see you there.